Welcome to Teen Peds Talks, a podcast series from the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners featuring NAPNAP experts and stakeholders addressing key issues in pediatric health. This series will focus on children in foster care. Teen Peds Talks is available wherever you listen to podcasts by searching Teen Peds Talks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on anchor.fm. My name is Bridget Van Graflin, and I'm an associate professor at Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. I've been a pediatric nurse practitioner for 33 years and a nursing educator for over 20 years. I've practiced extensively in underserved rural and urban primary care settings. My scholarship focuses on improving outcomes for children and youth in foster care, child maltreatment, and human trafficking. I'm the chair of the NAPNAP Child Maltreatment Special Interest Group and chair for the Alliance for Children in Foster Care. Hi, I'm Tracy Hallis and I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner with my primary mental health spe specialist certification. I've spent the last 15 years working with children and adolescents with a history of child maltreatment and currently work at the Medical University of South Carolina in their foster care support clinic. Um, I've spoken nationally on topics related to youth in foster care and serve currently as the co-chair um, for the Alliance for Children in Foster Care for NAPNAP Partners. Bridget and I, as um, chair and co-chair for the Alliance for Children in Foster Care, are delighted to host this series for you. Up to 80% of youth in foster care have at least one mental health problem, and close to 50% of kids in foster care will not graduate with a high school diploma. Statistics show that between 50 to 90% of youth victims of sex trafficking have a history of placement in the foster care system. The mission of the Alliance for Children in Foster Care is to nurture a sense of belonging, connection, and safety for children in foster care by one, empowering all pediatric-focused advanced practice nurses to incorporate trauma-informed health care as an essential set of services provided to all children in foster care, and two, promoting equitable and optimal growth and development. Thank you for joining us for this conversation about the health and wellness of children in foster care. So hi everyone, this is Tracy Hallis here again, the co-chair for the Alliance for Children in Foster Care. I'm excited to have two guests here with us, um, Bridget Van Graflin and Sonia Norman, um, that are here to talk about aging out um, in foster care. So it's a really important topic um, for youth in foster care. And so we're gonna dive in, but first just wanna share a little bit about our guests. Um, so our first guest is Sonia Norman, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the West uh, Michigan Partnership for Children. She's a dedicated advocate and deep has a deep commitment to transforming child welfare. Her passion in child welfare has been deeply rooted for over 35 years, marked by her active involvement in the statewide team of public and private child welfare champions that developed the model of the West um, Michigan Partners for Children proudly implements today in Kent County. Uh, prior to assuming the role of CEO in November of 2020, Sonia served as the w, uh, WMPC's Chief Operating Officer since the organization inception, developing an, the organizational infrastructure and leading performance and quality improvement and care coordination teams. In her role as CEO, Sonia continues to focus on building an inclusive culture um, at the West Mich Michigan Partnership for Children and on building a 
equity in the Kent County foster care system. She's well-respected in Kilt County throughout Michigan um, for her expertise in administering trauma-informed foster care programs and for her commitment to excellence. Um, she holds a Master of Science in Human Development and Family Studies and an MSW from the University of Illinois and a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Calvin College. Um, so Nia's commitment um, to continuous learning led to her, her to complete the Results-Based Leadership Institute a transformative leadership program offered by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. So excited to have Sony here. And then we also have Bridget Van Graflin, um, who is an associate professor and associate director of the Doctor of Nursing Practice Executive at the Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing. She spent the past 24 years in higher education as a faculty member at both University of Maryland School of Nursing and Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. The past 15 years, she's been teaching at the DMP Advanced Practice and Executive Programs. She has an excellent understanding of the DMP AP role curriculum, and she's over 30 years experience and expertise as a pediatric nurse practitioner. Her focus is on improving safety and health care outcomes of underdeserved and vulnerable pediatric patients and their families, especially children in foster care. She's president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners Child Welfare Special Interest Group, in which she has published articles and position statements on corporal punishment, positive parenting practices, and the health care of children in foster care. She's also the national chair of the Alliance for Children in Foster Care through the Partners for Vulnerable Youth with NAPNAP. So super excited to have you both here today. So welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. So I thought we would start this off by just talking about what does it actually mean to, to age out of foster care? And so I'll just open that up for you guys to share a little bit. Um, sure. Um, I can go first. The, um, technically, you know, aging out generally will refer to um, an individual who is in foster care who's reached the age of 18 but hasn't achieved some type of permanency, whether that's reunification uh, or adoption or other some other type of permanent legal custody with another caregiver. Now, I should say um, many states the age of aging out is 18, but there are a number of states that are 21. And actually, Connecticut has, uh, I believe, their aging out age is 23. So, but it, it's essentially somebody who's been in foster care that does not have any, ha never w achieved any type of permanency. Thank you so much for that. I think that's important. I think it's really important to point out that it it's it's different across. So make sure you're checking your state to see what the age is for your state um, as to what youth in foster care are considered to be aging out. So can you tell us some of the obstacles and struggles that youth aging out of foster care face? Um, sure. Um, I did want to just reflect on there are situations where um, youth who might have aged out legally where the court discharges them. There's also um, voluntary foster care that then youth can be in foster care, like Bridget said. Um, 21, and I believe federally they changed something to like maybe 26, but I think a lot of states are still catching up to that, um, which I think is a great opportunity for youth then to get support longer. Some some youth do close at 18 and they don't want anything to do with the system. And that's sad because we know that they need that support. Um, so yeah, some of the struggles that um, youth have is, you know, a lot of them have had a lot of um, placements often. There's a lot of trauma that these youth experience. And so having trusting relationships is difficult. And I'm not sure um, 
your age ranges, but I have young, I've now um, adult children and the support they need from age 18 to 21 to 26, et cetera, is quite significant. And so um, I think that trusting relationship is really important where, and so I think that is a, a key piece of what a youth needs, even in the medical profession, right? If they have an identified doctor who can be that person, that would be great. Um, they have a lot of, because of trauma and their ACEs, their, the um, adverse childhood experiences that they've experienced, they have a hard time developing relationships. They may not have graduated from, or from high school, so they're behind in their school. Um, they may have a lot of mental health issues that are not addressed. By the time they're 18, they may not have someone to help coach them to get the services they need. So um, it often moved a lot. And so they, I think education is a big piece of that where they just aren't caught up with um, where other youth might be at age 18. Um, so those are some of the struggles that we um, see happen with youth that are aging out of foster care. Bridget, uh, yeah, I would like to echo that. I mean, um, you know, we roughly have about 23,000 uh, youth that will age out of the foster care system every year. So, um, you know, I, I think there's some areas in the country that we do a better job of this than others. Um, and I think that's the challenge is there's so much state to state variation. Um, but just to kind of build on, um, you know, what Sonia had said was, you know, 20% after uh, youth age out will come become homeless. Um, only about 50% will have some type of gainful employment by the age of 24. And about 70% of females that age out will be pregnant by before the age of 21. And, you know, we certainly have our, our more vulnerable population. So those that enter at a later age are more likely to age out, as well as those children with um, disabilities, they're more likely um, to age out. So, you know, again, um, I think we, we have enough data to know that we, we need to do a lot more for our youth that age out and, and preparing them and transition early. Um, as, uh, you know, was stated before, the, the history of trauma um, you know, 25 to 30% will have a history of PTSD. And uh, that certainly, if goes unresolved, makes it very challenging once they are out of the system and don't necessarily have the support that they need. So, yes, definitely all echo everything that you guys say. I think one thing, I, I think a key thing that you hit, Sonia, is that hitting 18 in and of itself is difficult. Those are challenging years and that kids are still developing that prefrontal cortex is still developing. And then you add being in foster care and the trauma that you kind of highlighted Bridget and those kind of astounding statistics. It just adds extra layers of things and struggle struggles they have to face. Um, so um, Bridget, what are some things that you think are important for pediatric focused healthcare providers to remember when caring for youth in foster care when they're aging out? Well, I think it's important that healthcare providers, you know, pediatric focused providers understand um, first the data um, so they can, you know, have open, transparent conversations with um, the youth and with the current caregiver, 
um, whether that's, you know, someone in kinship care or, you know, some of our youth that age out at a later age, um, we have, there's difficulty in placement. So they may end up more in a more restrictive placement, like a group home. Um, so I, I think they need to understand, um, the current outcomes, and then where do, you know, we intervene. So if we know that homelessness, unemployment, um, you know, those that become, you know, parents themselves, or uh, perhaps, uh, unfortunately, uh, have substance use issues, we can target our interventions to be very specific. You know, what can we do um, to prevent homelessness? You know, what can we do to prevent unemployment? What resources are within the community that can assist these youth? Um, oftentimes, I think, and I can, you know, I've been guilty of this in the past, as healthcare providers, um, I can't stress enough how important it is to know the community resources. Sometimes there are some great aging out programs um, that help with career, help with resume building, help fill out FOSA forms if someone's interested in going to college, um, help fill out forms uh, for apprenticeship and trade schools. So again, conversations have to be had um, from the healthcare provider and they have to be knowledgeable and aware of what resources are in the community. So we can, you know, hook them up very early um, and we can start this conversation early. So they're still within the practice uh, and, and gives us enough time to really help them um, achieve some of their goals. Can I add a to that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think one piece that I think is really important for um, the medical field to understand and to really have that trauma-informed lens with youth that are coming out of foster care and really with any person because we've all experienced trauma, but how how when I think of our youth, they often um, might have problematic behaviors and maybe aren't following through on things that, um, you know, maybe adults in their life would like them to do and even a doctor, right? If a doctor is saying, do this, they might get frustrated with, uh, with youth who aren't following through, but really looking at youth through that lens of like what happened to them and really having a good understanding of what um, services they have received, whether it's trauma-informed, you know, some therapy or um, EMDR, that eye movement desensitization, repressing. Um, I, I think that um, our, our youth have so many traumatic, like just being in foster care is a trauma. We know right. that, right, that coming into a system um, and you, you've moved a ton and you don't have those trusted um, relationships sometimes, especially the youth that are aging out that, I mean, a doctor can be one of those people, but really needing to understand why things are happening and not like, not that doctors would blame, but like have more patience, I think, and really spend time and listen to the youth, um, I think would we'll, we'll go a long way because I do think um, so many medical things that kids come that have symptomology is also rooted just at some of their traumatic experiences. And so really understanding um, that lens is really important. And I'm sure Bridget, because she understands trauma, foster and medical knows about all that, but I just think that's really important to say out loud. No, it's, it's a great, that's a great point. Um, I agree. Um, I think it's really important that, you know, our pediatric focused nurse practitioners become, you know, advocates for our youth in within that practice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a couple of things you've highlighted, you know, 
aging out, the, it varies from state to state. In some states, they're allowed, like um, you described, Sonia, to stay in um, in foster care to a certain age and allowed some of the benefits. Um, I know, um, Bridget, you just highlighted as far as kind of getting to know your resources. And I feel like this is like a common theme on every kind of podcast I've been involved in um, on through this series. Each one that I've done is kind of, kind of meeting the families where they are and kind of knowing the resources. Um, so, I know that this can vary across the, you know, across state and across the nation, but what are some important resources that pediatric focus healthcare providers should be looking for um, to, to in their area and their community to help kids in foster care as they're aging out? Um, uh, oh, go ahead, Bridget. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you mentioned a few already, but like folks that are specializing in some of these, um, like I know in our community, we have services for youth that are homeless. And so often they are in foster care or have been in foster care. So just knowing about those service providers where they can help develop maybe a temporary um, home for them would be good. And I think the biggest thing, and just because trauma is just such a big part of foster care, is just really understanding um, what mental health providers are available, um, whether it's the community mental health or the public mental health system or private folks that can help see our youth. Um, I think that's super important. Those are a couple of things. Yeah, I think there are some an excellent um, national transition resource programs out there that, um, you know, there are toolkits for transitional um, programs. And I think it's really important that, you know, um, our pediatric focused NPs really understand and are aware of the the transition programs because you can take aspects of the toolkit and make it very applicable to your population to your area and your community so you know some youth that age out need more assistance um in and getting home getting a home getting an apartment some may need more help with career some need help with all of it which is probably the vast majority but again there are toolkits that uh you can become familiar with and within those toolkits are excellent strategies and tactics that can be used as nurse practitioners to help our our youth transition so i highly recommend you know just adapting or taking some elements of a transition plan if you don't have one already in your practice to um, utilize those resources. I love that, Bridget. I didn't know about that resource, um, that that was available. So I think that is awesome. And I love the idea of like, there's there's resources out there, but like looking at it and then adapting it to like, what do you have in your actual area that you could make yeah. work? I really like that. Yeah. That's a great, great suggestion. Exactly. I mean, we have a lot of foster youth that age out in rural areas, you know, it isn't all just, you know, urban um, areas. And so, you know, their resources might be different and their, the needs of the youth could be very different. I like that you both highlighted too, there could be a lot going on. And so almost like, just like you do at everything kind of in healthcare, kind of triaging, kind of what are the important things to do first? And so like basic kind of housing, those kind of things that you talked about, Sonia, and then try to figure out kind of what else their needs are. Um, Because there's a lot, a lot of times just because of the trauma and kind of just, you know, fragmented care, there's a lot these kids need. Yeah, Um, I think trust, you know, I think it's, um, it, it can be challenging if a youth Um, You know, the challenge of starting transition early within your practice is if they move homes, if they move practices, um, if they, you know, move to a different county or they see the 
the, the they go to the practice that the um, foster family utilizes. So I think that's also an issue that needs to be raised is you can start a transition plan, but if the youth moves um, due to a diff- needing a different foster home or um, for other reasons, transition plans that may have been started um, are not being completely fulfilled or completely implemented because they go to another site or another practice. Speaking about kind of transition plans, when should healthcare providers start planning for transition for youth in foster care for aging out? So if you want to take this one first. Yeah. Um, I know that in many states, 14 is the age when they start looking at developing independent living plans for through the foster care system. So once a youth turns 14, um, and again, I'm not sure what that's like across the state, but I would assume that every state has some kind of, this is when you start adding independent living skills to the treatment plan and to the plan with the youth. Um, so really 14, I mean, and if you think about um, everybody's children, right, it's those teen years where you start learning all those skills and what, what you might need to um, to learn. And so I think if physicians start to think about that as the age also to start talking about how does that impact health services and what how can they make sure their health um, needs are met as they continue to grow and potentially age out of foster care, even having those discussions prior to anybody moving or leaving foster care, I think that would be great. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, there is no um, set date, uh, set age that is best. Um, I've seen some transition programs start as early as 12 and 13 that have been in the system for a while. And you know, the longer you are in um, foster care, the harder it is to um, uh, get a permanency plan. So, you know, some some studies will suggest starting, you know, between 12 and 13. I think, you know, Sonia raised, you know, good issues. They developmentally need to be ready. Um, and again, the issue can be if, if a youth enters foster care after the age of 12 or 13, um, you know, do for whatever reason. It, it could be, you know, illness from the parents, incarceration, um, you know, and if they are entering at a later age, it makes uh, more challenges for transition. So, you know, just starting that conversation, I think is really important. Yeah, I think as early as possible when you're kind of thinking in the grand scheme of things um, is really important. And I think it's so important you talked about just meeting them where they are again, where they are and ready to learn those life skills and incorporating those things. And I think sometimes we take for granted simple things like, you know, you know, learning how to drive and other things like you got to track down the birth certificate, you got to track down this in order so they can do those things. So I think the earlier you can, it's just going to set the kids up for success. Exactly. So talk about a little bit, Bridget, if you can, about how pediatric-focused healthcare providers can really advocate for youth in foster care. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an important part of our role um, to, you know, obviously meet the needs of all of our patients, um, but particularly, you know, youth in care have so many, um, so many needs. They come and have a history of trauma, for sure. Um, they generally have higher than average um, ACE scores, the um, um, adverse childhood experience scores. So I think, um, 
just really stressing the importance of transition, um, looking at what type of academic support they might have need, excuse me, um, career preparation, uh, housing and educating about um, setting up utilities, setting, you know, up Wi-Fi, what type of health education they need, you know, knowing that, you know, up up to 80% of our youth in care have some at least one chronic illness. So talking to them about health education, talking to them about, um, you know, continuing their health insurance coverage, generally, I mean, it's, it's state insurance. Um, but helping them get in, um, you know, enrolled, giving them the tools that they need. Um, I think it's also really important that we continue, you know, not just the day-to-day tasks and checklists, like getting a birth certificate. Some don't don't have a social security card. Um, the importance of getting the driver's license and, um, you know, other system type uh, activities that they need. But I think one thing that we overlook sometimes is that need for relationships. So, you know, stressing the importance of having a safe relationship with someone. Um, It doesn't have to be a caregiver. It could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It could be um, a CASA volunteer, but somebody that they have a relationship with because those relationships are really important to the youth and they lose some of that connection um, in their practice if after the age of 21, they have to go see, you know, a more adult focused provider. So, you know, talking to them early about some of the things that they are going to need as they get closer to aging out and really, um, really stressing the importance of a relationship with someone. And that can be challenging because there's trust issues. Um, particularly, you know, if they've been in care for a while and they've not had any permanency plan, um, you know, that, that really can, you know, affect a youth and their trust in the system. So, um, again, just, I, I think reiterating the transition, um, is really important. Yeah, one thing that I was thinking that, um, and you mentioned it earlier, Bridget, just really understanding your state's um, services, policies, um, what their youth's rights are and what they may be eligible for. It would be really helpful because sometimes if a youth does end um, their episode in foster care kind of on their own terms where they're like, I'm done, I don't want to be involved anymore, they may not get a whole lot of that transition paperwork where some youth, when they go through the aging out, like maybe through independent living services and they have a case manager, they're receiving information that they can then take with them. Um, And I think a lot of states have websites for young adults um, who've been in foster care. So just, I think it would be really helpful for providers to know just at a basic level, what youth are eligible for or what services so that they could potentially provide that information if that has not been provided to the youth. That's a great advice. Yeah. I agree. That is very good advice. It's, um, I think, uh, important um, for those that are caring for youth that are going to age out and for the youth themselves yeah. and for the biological or foster families, you know, uh, if there's still involvement. Yes, absolutely. 
I think it's so important too, because you just mentioned something as far as a biological family. Sometimes they are involved, sometimes they're not. And then kind of aging out, that opens up a whole other can of worms as far as, you know, getting back in contact with them. And sometimes, you know, the reason that they're in care, those things haven't been resolved. And so I think going back to Sonia, you said like knowing kind of mental health resources that you can provide them as they kind of navigate these new relationships or reestablishing these relationships can be so important. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about independent living skills um, for pediatric focused healthcare providers to address during visits, like, you know, driver's license, kind of, you know, help, you know, making sure they have birth certificate and their information. Are there any other important skills that you think are, are important to address um, during the visits um, with these kiddos to kind of help them and set them up for success? A couple of things that came to mind for me right away was, um, besides mental health, which we've talked about, is sexual health, like really having honest conversations with youth about how to be safe. And um, that may, I mean, you're hoping that caregivers have given that information or a case manager, but it's always good to hear that more than once. Um, so I think that is a really important conversation to have anytime a youth hits in their teens. And even, unfortunately, as young as 12, like Bridget was saying. Um, I think some basic skills like scheduling an appointment or what kind of technology does the provider have to schedule or to have virtual visits? Because I think our youth live on their phones and anything that's easy on their phones. So even helping them, I know like I have like an app that has my you know appointments on it as well as my documents, having them be taught how to do that if that isn't something that's automatically done. Um, I think that would be really helpful because youth are very technologically savvy and prefer living through that. Um, and I think to youth, especially after 18, like we have a lot of youth who miss their required appointments because they're just like, man, I don't want to go. I'm not sick. I don't need to do this. So I think mm -hmm. often our youth go to the doctor when there's something maybe significantly wrong, right? Maybe they've broken something or they're very sick. That is also a good time to talk about like what is basic health care and prevention look like. Um, and these would be more kids that maybe this this provider hasn't seen prior to 18, but like literally kids that have been aging out. I think it is just talking about like what's what's an appropriate amount of time to see your doctor. Oh, how about once a year, <laughs> right? Like where I think a lot of right. these might just go when they're sick and then they miss that opportunity to have that preventative care. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I don't think that we, quite can comprehend to the um, amount of effort it takes for our youth to get some of these uh, resources set up, particularly housing. Um, you know, there's been documentaries that um, have uh, been done showing, um, you know, one youth that aged out, you know, sending 50 emails a day for um, low-income housing. And, you know, you have to be persistent, you have to be um, resilient. And sometimes with their history of trauma, uh, th they don't have a lot of those protective factors built in. And it, they get discouraged, they, you know, they stop. And again, when you think about, you know, at 18, uh, or 21, I don't know too many states that have gone to 26 yet for the age of um, aging out, which would be fantastic. That'd but be great. The leaders have been developed a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. At the age, it's just very um, 
developmentally, they all of a sudden are completely independent. And if we haven't um, supported them enough, um, it's really unreasonable (laughs) for us to think that they can just go out and, you know, if they haven't graduated from high school, getting a GED, navigating again, trying to apply for a job, things like that, they, they just need so much support as any, you know, family member would get. And um, it, it just gets, um, in my experience, I've seen youth get discouraged because um, there's so many hoops they have to go through or they have to be so persistent. And uh, already we we know that the um, they are um, really stretched thin, um, the youth. Yeah. I, I this is all great advice. Um, and I think just some things that, like you said, we just take for granted just how much work and how much effort. And so I think one thing that I do with um, the youth that I see in my clinic is like, we talk to foster parents about as they're getting older, like having the kid come in first by themselves and the foster parents sit in the waiting room, something simple as that. So they get used to kind of giving the history. We get them set up on their portal and we make them kind of like practice sending me a message. That's like their homework so that they can learn how to communicate with their healthcare providers um, um, and get the information that they need. Um, we have them practice going out and scheduling their own appointments because some of those things can be really overwhelming if you're just not used to it and you're basically in high school like Bridget said trying to like get a high school diploma or your GED and just survive basically Um, so I think that's really important just to to kind of empower the kids and help them and be a guide and another person that's helping them and building a relationship and helping them as you're transitioning out from your healthcare system as they get older you know build a relationship with a new provider so I think that's really important all the things that y'all highlighted yeah Um, I mean I know the first time I filled out FAFSA for my oldest daughter I I felt like I needed a PhD yes it's very it's very complicated yes (laughs) Initially. So, I mean, imagine trying to do that on your own or, and I know that's just one example, um, you know, but putting together a resume, putting together, you know, um, you know, uh, practicing with interview questions for jobs, things like that, you know, without having some of that support that, you know, historically you would get from, um, you know, parental support, it's, it's not there. So, um, as they say, it takes a village. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This has been great. One of the questions that I've asked kind of all um, uh, the um, guests that I've had the chance to interview on, on whatever topic it is, if you could give one piece of advice to like pediatric focus advanced practice providers on caring for uh, youth aging out of foster care, what might it be? Um. So I guess I would say it's important to, um, again, know your community, know what resources are available, because we know, um, you know, it's so important for the for the youth to have options. So what's in your community? Um, And I would say that, as a provider, you know, really frequent follow up. Um, it's already challenging sometimes to get adolescents into the practice once a year for just regular um, physicals and checkups. But I, I think uh, our youth in care in general, but especially those that are going to age out soon, um, having more frequent follow up with um, their primary health care provider 
is important so we can check some of those boxes off in the toolkit of um, some of the resources that they're going to need. So yeah, I, love, I love that, that, that checking in with youth, like, you know, and I think going back to what you were saying, Tracy, about the app, right? Like getting, like getting a message from a provider who maybe you haven't seen for six months, but you get notified, oh, I have a message. It really could be so important for youth to know, oh, my doctor's thinking about me or my nurse practitioner and cares about me, right? They don't, I just, I don't know. I just it, it get a little emotional when I think about it too much, but like these youth yeah. sometimes don't have anybody. Um, and so I really, I go back to what I said earlier about my advice would be really to ensure you're having a trauma-informed perspective. That, that youth that come to doctors just assume there's trauma and that there's unresolved trauma. And maybe they, they're, you know, and if they're homeless, that's the issue. Like if they have a, you know, that's where you have to focus. You can't focus on, and not that Bridget was saying this, but you can't focus on how to write a resume. It's like, okay, figure out whatever crisis that they're in and, you know, potentially help them in whatever role the doctor can and the, the physician. Cause obviously there's only, you know, there's, there's a limit to that as well, but really just having that trauma informed perspective. If, a, if someone doesn't know what that is or doesn't have as much expertise there, um, I think that would be my number one suggestion is make yourself a more of an expert on how trauma affects youth in foster care and um, their mental health and their physical health. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Tracy. I mean, I, it's incredibly important to um, to manage and care for not just youth in foster care, but um, anyone with trauma from a trauma yes. informed lens. You Absolutely. know, preventing that secondary trauma um, as providers is really important for us. Yes. Um, our, we don't want to add to their trauma. So, um, I, I, the excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. This has all been great. Y'all are, it's just, I'm just amazed. I feel like, you know, I feel like working, I work primarily with youth in foster care and sometimes you can get so stuck kind of in your little own silos. And it's just been so neat talking to all the experts across this nation and the great things that people are doing and advocating for kids in foster care. And that just the important message that we're, hope we're sharing um, that um, these kids are a vulnerable population and deserve a lot of care and doing it from a trauma-informed lens and meeting them where they are and knowing what resources you have, I think are some of the key points I just keep hearing over and over again. So thank you, Bridget and Sonia, for being here today. Y'all have been amazing um, and really appreciate you sharing your expertise. Thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Teen Peds Talks, Children in Foster Care, brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. If you like this series, be sure to look for other episodes and explore our other series all on pediatric health. Visit napnap.org and click on the Teen Peds Talks menu item under the Continuing Education tab. The conversations are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Search Teen Peds Talks on your app on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Anchor.fm. We are always looking for volunteers to continue our vision and our mission for the Alliance for Children and Trafficking. So please feel free to reach out to either Tracy and I via the website. Uh, we would love to have you. Please join us again next time and thank you for listening.